Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, December the 20th, 2021. This is Air Force veteran David Corey along with my co-host Richard Hurley. Hope you all are doing well and uh, that you'll enjoy this Christmas week ahead of us. I know it's been a busy and seemingly fast year. And as we finish up this year, hopefully able to relax with family and friends, I just want to say thank you to all our loyal listeners here across the country. Uh, we do this show, the Veterans News Hour, to help bring light to veteran issues and uh, to the wide range of resources available for veterans and their families. We, of course, welcome your feedback and your involvement and your participation, and we would like to thank the many guests we have had on the show this past year. Let's go over to Richard Hurley. Welcome back, Rick. I know you've been doing a lot of traveling and work, particularly this month of December, so maybe you can fill us in on your adventures. Sure, sure will do, and thank you, David, and uh, good evening, everybody, and good evening, David. Yeah, it's been a fast year, and I'm sure, David, you know, when, when you sit back and you start thinking about everything that's going on since the beginning of the year, you you wonder where it's all gone, what, ha- what happened to it. Well, here we are, getting ready for 2022, and uh, yeah, this past month, I didn't necessarily want this month to to kind of end, or, or yeah, the end the way it's ending, which has been very hurried and busy for me. Uh, I had to fly up to New York uh, City and uh, had to attend to some veterans up there and a hearing up there, and um, that was in, in person. Uh, and then um, then I went out to uh, San Francisco and had a, a hearing in Oakland. And David, you know, one of the wonderful things about uh, the virtual hearings that you do and I do is that even though I did an in-person in New York and an in-person in in Oakland, from my hotel room, I still did, I did two in New York and and two in in Oakland or from the hotel room in Sausalito. So, uh, but, you know, what a wonderful thing that we, we can do, you know. You can sit there in, the, in a hotel, and, uh, and right there, I was in Sausalito, which is a beautiful spot. If anyone ever gets a chance to go out to San Francisco, you know, go go see Sausalito. And uh, just, you know, technology has given us this opportunity to, to do these things. Um, and they all went they all went very well, and, and, and the people uh, who, who you meet to, uh, through the BVA to set these things up are they're all terrific people, and uh, you know it's uh, just an easy process. The in-persons are as easy as they they were before COVID. You know, the case I had in Oakland uh, is is an interesting case, and and David, I want your want you to talk about it as well because here we had a situation. The situation for this veteran is, and he's currently he's twenty six years old. He was a young man coming out of. Uh, uh, He's a California resident. Uh, from the time he started as a freshman in high school, he was involved in their ROTC program. 
Uh, he did that for four years, and, and during that time, they, they did a lot of community outreach. They did a lot of outreach to veterans. Uh, this young man uh, comes from a, a long, long history of, of military people, his dad, his brother, grandfathers on both sides. So this, this young man, that, that's what he wanted to do. He, he wanted to get uh, involved in, in the military. So, and he started out great. He wanted to be a ranger. He went through all the schooling. Um, and then <clears throat> during boot camp, he suffered a couple of seizures. And, um, I mean, they were full-blown uh, grandma seizures. Uh, but nobody, uh, uh, the military didn't do anything for him. And wow. um, they basically, you know, he was carried back to his, his bunk, and he just lied in the bunk, and they kind of went away. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with it because my brother has seizures. He's epileptic. So I've seen, I've seen that. And... Um, so he didn't have any more, um, but he was having symptoms uh, that, in in retrospect, were related to uh, these seizures. And so <clears throat> um, he graduates from this program, and he's getting ready to, I guess, go into the ranger school. And he, he uh, was flying from San Francisco to San Diego to Atlanta, and from San Francisco to his destination, Atlanta, he was on, on a Spirit Airline, and his one of three bags got lost. Well, in this bag that got lost and never found, and the military, the, the Army wouldn't help him. They, I asked him, I said, did they help you try to find it? And he said, they placed one phone call to the airlines, which is, I did the same thing, he said. So he lost the bag, and um, he... Um, they they told him you you can't you can't go into the ranger program. Uh, they gave him one of two options. They they weren't going to replace the uniforms that he lost that were in the bag and some other equipment that were in the bag, and they weren't going to replace it. Uh, and they said to him, "Well, you uh, here here are your options. You can drop out and reapply, which you'll get accepted in you know twelve fourteen months, which he wasn't too thrilled about doing, or we can." put you in with another group, and, and you'll get, he was a parachutist, uh, and, and you'll get your experience, you know, uh, parachuting and, and combat, which is what he wanted to do. So he was sent up to Alaska, and he was with a unit up there, which, as he was being, as he kept going two or three times, getting his orders, the people who were signing off on him said, man, I'm so sorry that they're sending you there. And he's like, why? And the response was, you'll find out. So he finally finds out, and, and apparently this, is, this unit has one of the higher suicide rates amongst units in, in, within the United States Army. This unit was also the one that Bergdorf, remember um, the fellow that walked, I guess he walked, out, walked away from his base oh, in Afghanistan? Yeah. And, um, so this, this unit was, you know, that's his unit. And a lot of these guys, as you know, were, were injured. And, uh, I think some of them may even died when they went looking for him when he was AWOL. And the reason I say that is because, you know, bring that up is because this unit was never going to be deployed ever again because of what happened. 
So this young man uh, was told he was going to be able to see action when in, in reality he, there, was, there was no way he was ever going to see action. So now he's up in Alaska and he's um, uh, having issues with anxiety and depression. Um, he had uh, some more semi-seizures, nothing as intense as he had in boot camp. Uh, there was a lot of hazing going on. They used to come into his room and kind of, you know, put a pillow over his head and, and, and kind of beat him a little bit, beat him. I, I won't even say a little bit, but beat him. So he had all this kind of stuff going on and, uh, he got further depressed and they, they diagnosed him at that time with, as a malingerer and as a hypochondriac basically, which he wasn't at all. So, um, unfortunately, he ended up getting in with, with some of the bad, bad guys. And drugs are involved. And uh, he got caught. And as a result of what happened, uh, he ended up doing some, some time in, in car, being incarcerated, about 18 months. And during this time, his seizures were really... Hit, you know, really popped up. One one day he had three seizures, three grandma seizures. Still, nobody did anything for him. Um, at one point, they they ordered an MRI, uh, but the MRI never happened. They never never did anything. Uh, never carried it out. When he was finally released from the service, uh, September of, of 2018, he gets out and. Uh, at this point, he, he got a bad conduct discharge, so he had no no VA benefits. He gets out, and his mom was able to put him under his her insurance, and um, they do an MRI on him, and they find a baseball-sized tumor in his brain. Oh no! Yeah, and um, he had surgery. Um, they were able to get about 80 to 90% of it. They cannot get all of it. And because of that, um, one doctor, one doctor, uh, wrote a couple of years ago that he wouldn't see, he'd probably be dead by September of 2021. Well, he's made it through September of 2021 and he seems to be doing okay. But, but essentially every doctor that he's seen has told them, they have told him that, you know, he's, He's not going to live a long life. Um, so the hearing that we had was, and 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 David, you do you do a lot of these uh, board of correction uh, cases, and and there's one of those cases pending, but that's been pending for about two years, uh, and nothing's happened with that. Uh, there's another law firm that's handling that aspect of the case. So I was doing an, an end around. Uh, and and the hearing was to it was a a general character uh, hearing, and you know as you know under the CFRs you're able to do an end around, and if if you if you can convince the judge that despite the bad conduct discharge that he uh, has good character. And therefore, he should be entitled to VA benefits, and um, and that's what the case is about, and that's what the hearing was about. 
but you know, and, and there's a there's a doctor's report. We have a doctor's report that said if, if they had found this tumor when he first had his first seizure, which was in 2014, it would have been the size of probably a maybe a quarter, which would have been easily uh, surgically removed, and this young man wouldn't be facing the the dire life-threatening situation that he's in. Uh, so, anyways, that we're still working that case, and um, we may be, I, mean, I know the mom, uh, I may be calling, have, having you step in and to, to take over the BCNR on that as well, not to get into our office stuff, but the point is, you know, we, we see a lot of tragedy when, we, when we're dealing with veterans. And so often, you know, we see it from the, on the compensation side and the games that are being played and um, the roller coaster that these veterans go through, you know, being increased and then being denied and reduced. And, you know, it's, it's you know, the way they're being played with their lives. And this is just another, another situation where, you know, the VA just um, kind of dropped the ball cause, because they could have stepped up. All, all of this evidence that I've just talked about was in front of the VA, uh, and they could have granted the uh, the benefits at that time, back when he filed his claim back in 2018. But they went ahead and, and denied it. And as you know, David, that, that then gives us the right to then uh, appeal it to the Board of Veteran Appeals. So that's where we are, and that's what I was doing out in Oakland. Wow. Well, hope, hope the judge is, uh, is uh, thorough and sympathetic, you know, and applies the laws correctly. It's a real shame. Yeah. You, you mentioned that the, it sounds like the VA dropped the ball, but it certainly sounds like from what you described uh, that the military, both the chain of command and the military medical system, uh, you know, dropped the ball on some. Well, absolutely. And then, you know, to see um, um, the diagnosis, you know, as he was experiencing these uh, these grandma seizures and they were, you know, uh, diagnosing him as a malingerer and and hypochondriac, and, and you have to forgive me, but there's a, there's a technical word. Uh, it's like a fictitious disorder, which basically... Um, is a is a hypochondriac hypochondriac situation uh, when this you know this young man wasn't make he wasn't making anything up and there were witnesses there are countless witnesses that have testified on his behalf that you know if anyone's ever seen a grandma seizure uh, a person suffering from a grandma seizure you, you know they're not they're not making that stuff up. Um, my older brother, who's who, who gets them, he hasn't had them in a while. But when he used to get them pretty regularly, he used to describe it as uh, being like a piece of bacon just frying on the floor because you're just bouncing around, and and that was the, that's the way it's described to him from the people who were looking at him because he obviously doesn't know what's going on. But yeah, you're correct, David. They, the, the army dropped the ball on this guy, and. Uh, uh, we can only hope that you know the courts are now going to step up and and correct an injustice and uh, and give this guy give this young man some VA benefits that will uh, greatly improve uh, his life. Um, 
So anyway, so that's that's what I was doing in Oakland. And how about you, David? How, what's new and exciting on your end? Well, we had uh, a couple really interesting guests the last uh, two weeks, and uh, they included last week uh, Lee Washington, uh, who is the president in the state of Florida of the uh, County Veteran Service Officers Association. Uh, he's also uh, active in, in the Manatee County, Florida Veteran Services. The interview uh, was, was extremely informative uh, to get his perspective as a veteran service officer, particularly, specifically, a county, uh, as a county employee, um, practically, as he described, nearly every county of the 67 counties in Florida, um, they employ veteran service officers. These are paid employees at the county level. They don't work for the federal VA. They don't work for, uh, you know, a, a, a veterans group. And uh, he was describing um, the rather impressive training, but also the continuing education, because, Rick, you know, you know well how complex this area is. Uh, but he uh, he was describing that and, and then describing the, um, you know, the, the typical um, staffing of a county office. I know in the state of Florida we've got some uh, counties with, with, you know, uh, a million and a half to two million people uh, with significant veteran populations. And then we have rural counties uh, with, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with less than 100,000 people in them, and, and there's a few counties without the, the county-employed VSOs they, or they share with some other neighboring counties. But it was very, I think, very informative uh, interview with Lee Washington. And then uh, the week before that, we had um, retired Army Colonel Mike Borders of uh, the Military Officers Association of America, specifically uh, the Florida um, contingent of chapters, of which... Uh, Florida has uh, about one-tenth of all the uh, chapters around the country. It's a very, as you know, there's a lot of uh, veterans and specifically uh, retirees, military retirees in Florida. So the Military Officer Association America, or MOA, the acronym is, very active in Florida, chapters all over the state. And so his interview was also very informative. It was December 6th in uh, I encourage any any former officers or retired officers, and the, the distinction being you don't have to have served for a full 20-year, 20 20-plus-year 20 career to join. If you were an officer, uh, check out, uh, uh, you know, that organization and uh, listen to our archive podcast. That's from the December 6, 2021 show. Again, that was uh, with uh, retired Colonel Mike Borders. So that's... Uh, we've had going on uh, on the show uh, the last uh, two weeks. And as a side note, um, tonight is our 200th live uh, broadcast of the Veterans News Hour here on bbsradio.com. Uh, we've been on in about a month. It will have been five years. So as you know, we've had, we've had uh, between 50 and 60 uh, reruns over the years. Uh, We've played back some of our favorite shows when we haven't been able to have a live show for whatever reason. But uh, I think it's, uh, it's a pretty uh, a pretty good uh, milestone that we've met tonight with our 200th live show. And 
over those shows, we've had, uh, I think, a pretty interesting uh, uh, variety of, uh, of guests representing all sorts of uh, veteran organizations uh, and individual veterans talking about their own experiences and insights and, uh, and some of them demonstrating really the difference that one veteran can make uh, in, uh, in organizations. This past year, we lost um, Navy veteran Lauren Price, who had been on our show uh, at least a half a dozen times over the previous uh, four and a half years. Uh, she was uh, a veteran of, of the war in Iraq, and uh, she was also she also demonstrated um, how one person can make a difference. Uh, she was a co-founder of a group, Veteran Warriors, here in Florida, but in the space of uh, just a few years, had a major national impact on a couple issues, big issues for veterans. One is the uh, the toxic exposure open air burn pits uh, that were commonly used in Afghanistan, Iraq, and other places. And then the other issue that she talked about was uh, the caregiver support program. And as many veteran families know, uh, particularly the veterans that uh, were injured, injured in combat, came back uh, severely disabled, uh, it, it often falls on the family uh, to provide, you know, day-to-day support and and care. That's not to say that the veteran doesn't get care also in, the, you know, initially either in the military hospital or in the VA system, but a lot, you know, the day-to-day is on uh, the, the family members, and that can be uh, very uh, significant. So uh, the military uh, uh, system and the VA system, they're, they're, as much as they do, they don't do enough. So the, the VA's caregiver support program, which was started a few years ago and uh, has been expanded, although it's been the subject of a lot of controversy, we've had a number of uh, shows over the last couple of years. And like I say, our, our interviews with Lauren Price often focused on that issue as well as the open-air burn pit issue. Um, but um, I was reminded by that today. I want to touch on something else before we get to the news. And, Rick, I'd like to hear more about uh, your other travels this month, but I wanted to mention something. I got in the mail today a letter, and I, I'm on the mailing list of a lot of veteran groups, as you might expect. But I got a letter today, and it was a fundraising letter from the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, uh, whose mission is to help care for military families. And the letter, uh, there's actually two letters in the envelope. One was uh, from uh, the actor, famous actor, Tom Hanks, who's the chair of what they call the Hidden Heroes Campaign. The Hidden Heroes Campaign is is run by Elizabeth Dole's foundation. Uh, those of you who know Elizabeth Dole's a former U.S. senator, and she also served uh, in, in the presidential cabinet, and uh, 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 her, her husband, Bob Dole, who just recently passed away, uh, he was a World War II veteran as well as... Uh, U.S. Senator. But um, let me just read you the letter that I got. Uh, this was from Senator, former Senator Elizabeth Dole. I'll just read it because it's kind of short and it, and it kind of gets to the point here. It says, Dear fellow American, 
when my husband, Bob Dole, was admitted to Walter Reed Army Medical Center for an extended period in 2010, my eyes were opened to a true crisis. I met dozens of young spouses, mothers, and dads caring for our injured warriors and learned about their incredible challenges. I felt a sense of mission, a calling I had to help. I established the Elizabeth Dole Foundation to raise awareness and seek solutions for these hidden heroes. I knew I couldn't do this alone, and thankfully, caring Americans like Tom Hanks stepped forward to help. Tom and countless others have been by my side all along the way. We are responding with bold solutions for the 5.5 million military and veteran caregivers in the United States who set aside their own lives and sacrificed careers to care for those who fought for our freedom and security. Our nation owes these brave military and veteran caregivers a huge debt of gratitude. I invite you to join Tom Hanks and me in this fight. Together, we will tell their stories and mobilize our nation to solve their challenges. With heartfelt thanks, Elizabeth Dole. And their website, it's easy to remember, it's hiddenheroes.org. Hiddenheroes.org. It's based in Washington, D.C., and it's called the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. I had heard of the foundation before because Lauren Price, whenever she was on our show talking about the caregiver program, the VA's program, she had mentioned um, the collaborating with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and other groups. But uh, check out their website again, hiddenheroes.org. And uh, uh, their, their purpose, obviously they could benefit from your financial support, whether it's $25 or $50 or, or more. Uh, but they work with a lot of uh, other organizations, a very impressive list of, of other organizations. And what they're trying to do is to support all the caregivers who are, you know, typically family members who are trying to um, uh, provide the day-in and day-out care for their wounded veteran, basically. And uh, the VA, as much as the VA does, which is extensive in some cases and really impressive in other cases, but also the VA has been known to really drop the ball. And uh, their caregiver support program has been riddled with problems over the last, uh, you know, three, four, five years. Uh, A lot of problems and a lot of controversy. So... That's not news for people that are involved with the program. I'm just mentioning that for those of you that may not be. But in any event, um, check out uh, this program of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. And, again, their purpose is to help care for military families because the cost of war, it doesn't end the moment they leave the battlefield and they come home. Really, for, for most of them, particularly if they were seriously injured or, or if, they sudden, if they suffer hidden injuries or, or psychological injuries, uh, for, for many, 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 it's, it's a lifelong battle, and it affects the entire family significantly. And that's something that I can tell you, being a veteran myself, and have observed things both from when I was on active duty, when I was in the reserves, and then when I was you know, retired and not in the military anymore, but helping veterans. In the military, it's, it's pretty much like you're taken care of, and sometimes not very effectively, as, as the example that Rick just gave. But once you're out of the military or once you're, you're not useful, it's like out of sight, out of mind. What, you know, you're, you're, you're dropped quickly. 
and uh, if you're no longer of use to the military, uh, the military is, is, is too busy and has enough problems and challenges to deal with all its tasking. Uh, and they kind of leave it up to the VA. So well, that's what the VA is for, right? The VA's take care of the veterans. Well, we know the VA, as much as it does and all the billions that it spends, it, it still doesn't do uh, everything. And that's why you have so many, literally hundreds of private organizations that have stepped up. And, uh, and uh, like I say, you've got, uh, you've got this one as a shining example. So, Rick, to answer your question, that's one thing I wanted to highlight. I've got another organization I want to highlight, but I don't want to hog up too much airtime here. So let's go back over to you. No, if that, if that uh, organization is looking for donations, this is the perfect time to do it because it's Christmas time. And everybody's exactly. in a good mood for, for giving. So uh, if you want to talk about that one, please go ahead. and Because uh, these organizations need the help. They need the financial help. And, and you know, one of the things that I kind of, uh, it's been a pet peeve for me for many years now is the fact that if it wasn't for so many of these organizations that are not affiliated with the VA, our veterans would not be getting the care, the kind of care that they are really uh, need um, because the VA doesn't doesn't go as far as they, um, they they should go as far as I'm concerned. Not in all cases. You know, I've got a lot of examples where they've done a great job, but I've also got a lot of examples where they have not done a good job, and they they find reasons why they're not going to assist a a veteran. Um, with with health coverage or you know some some sort of benefits. Um, one, I I do want, I I forgot, but I kind of remind everybody this is a, ta- a call-in show. So Dave and I've been, been been going back and forth. But if anyone wants to um, call in, uh, the number is one triple eight six two seven six zero zero eight. Again, that number is one eight one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. Maybe maybe one of you uh, out there. Uh, have a nonprofit that that you think is is worthy of uh, announcing and uh, help helping getting some uh, some sort of uh, donations for you know give us a call talk talk about that that particular organization uh, they they all need the uh, uh, publicity and we're here to it's one of the things we do in addition to giving veterans uh, news we we also like to pu- pu- publicize. The various organizations that are doing such wonderful work for our veterans. Again, that number is one triple eight six two seven six zero zero eight. Let me go into some news. Uh, the National Veterans Legal Service Program, the NVLSP.org, wants veterans and their families to know that it has a new dedicated burn pits claims assistant program, Burn Pits CAP. This program marks a major expansion of the free legal representation that the NVLSP has provided to veterans and their survivors over the last 40 years. The Burn Pits CAP will assist veterans exposed to toxic toxic emissions from burn pits while serving overseas by representing them on claims for disability benefits before the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Open burn pits located near military bases were commonly used by the U.S. military departments in Southwest Asia to dispose of assorted waste Another matter. The Department of Defense and the VA agree that the smoke and fumes emitted from these burn pits contain numerous toxic chemicals. Over 240,000 veterans and service members have documented their exposure in the VA's airborne hazards and open burn pit registry. 
Despite its recognition that burn pits located on numerous military bases emitted toxic chemicals, the VA has thus far denied over 70, 75% of the disability claims based on burn pit exposure. The burn pit, pits, uh, the burn pit Claims Assistance Program is a natural extension of NVLSP's legal expertise and tenacity in fighting for veterans and their families to ensure that they receive the life-changing benefits they need and deserve, said NVLSP Executive Director Paul Wright. NVLSP has a solid record of defending the rights of veterans with chronic illnesses due to their exposure during military service to toxic chemicals. The most, ex- most significant example is NEMA versus the United States Department of Veteran Affairs, a class action lawsuit brought on behalf of all Vietnam veterans and their survivors who had been or would be denied VA benefits for conditions associated with exposure to Agent Orange. In this historic case, federal government invalidated the VA Agent Orange compensation rule and approved a consent decree requiring VA to pay retroactive disability and death benefits. As a result of the consent decree and four successful motions for enforcement, the VA has been forced to pay over $4.6 billion in VA compensation benefits to Vietnam veterans and their survivors. NVLSP's work on behalf of the Vietnam veterans exposed to Agent Orange underscores the organization's ability to tackle the burn pits issue, often cited as the Agent Orange equivalent for post-9-11 veterans. To learn more about NVLSP burn pits claims assistance program, go to website nvlsp.org. That's pretty simple, nvlsp.org. NVLSP is also a steadfast advocate for legislation that would grant presumptive coverage for veterans with burn pits exposure. David and I are big NVLSP supporters. And this is an independent, nonprofit veterans service organization that has served active duty military personnel and veterans since 1981. NVLSP. The NVLSP strives to ensure that our nation honors its commitment to its 22 million veterans and active duty personnel by ensuring they have the benefits they have earned through their service to our country. The NVLSP has represented veterans in lawsuits that compel enforcement of the law where the VA or other military services deny benefits to veterans in violation of the law. NVLSP's success in these lawsuits has resulted in more than $5.2 billion being awarded in disability, death, and medical benefits the hundreds of thousands of veterans and their survivors. NVLSP offers a training for attorneys and other advocates, connect veterans and active duty personnel with pro bono legal help when seeking disability benefits, publishes the nation's de- definitive guide on veteran benefits, and represents and litigates for veterans and their families before the VA, military discharge review agencies, and federal courts. Again, for more information, that uh, website is www nvlsp.org. Over to you, David. Thanks, Rick. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because you had mentioned uh, one of your trips uh, going up to your uh, alma mater, Seton Hall Law School, and uh, I know one thing we talked about in some prior shows were, were uh, you know, law schools that uh, had had uh, clinics, programs basically on veteran issues. So I wanted to Want to just throw that out there to see if you had anything that maybe you could share with us? Yeah, well, um, Seton Hall uh, is is doing a lot of really really good work in terms of uh, veterans who want to go to law school, and it's assisting these veterans getting into law school, and it's assisting assisting veterans upon completing law school, uh, getting out into the job market. 
one of the um, one of my pet peeves, and I continue to uh, organize, and, and and hopefully this is going to happen, maybe in 2022, is a is a veterans law clinic. Uh, you know, you David, we've, we've talked on this show the benefit of a of a law clinic to to the law school because it's such a good community. Uh, you know, good for the community. It's good for the, the law students because it gives them hand hand on practical experience. I know from my own experience at Seton Hall, I I still think back to the, those days when I was working in the clinic and, and enjoyed every day of it. So hopefully, you know, Seton Hall will. I mean, they, there's a need right there in North New Jersey for it, and uh, hopefully, the school will be able to put it together. Uh, one of one of the uh, uh, assistant deans is a former professor from uh, West Virginia uh, Law School, University Law School, and, and they have a very good clinic there. So she and she worked in that one. She organized that one. So so they have the people in place now. It's just a matter of making it part of the curriculum. Uh, but uh, you know, Yale Law School has done such a great job. We talk about that program, and and down here in Florida, uh, Stetson Law School, they do a great job. With their veteran law clinics, so uh, these these uh, these clinics can do a lot of good for a lot of people, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, that's great. Yeah, the, the Yale uh, program. We had a guest uh, uh, from uh, from the Yale clinic uh, a couple months ago. Really impressive because their impact is is in addition to helping individual veterans has been um, to also specialize in class action lawsuits that will, of course, then affect the full range of, of veterans that fall into that class, whether it's a group of veterans that were exposed to some toxic uh, exposure or uh, those that have run into problems trying to get uh, a, a bad discharge characterization upgraded so that they're eligible for VA benefits. Those are just uh, two of, of many, many class action uh, lawsuits that they've uh, that the Yale clinic has, has brought so you know it's really impressive and and the uh, the high quality of legal work that they bring really makes a difference because um, there are other you know law schools out there they may have clinics that help individual veterans but um, I don't I have yet to see one that matches what Yale is doing now the group you mentioned before National Veterans Legal Services Program, is uh, is an independent nonprofit veteran organization. They've been around since 1981, as you said, and uh, they've also been very impressive with their both um, individual representation programs, pro bono, free representation, but also with uh, with quite a few uh, successful class action lawsuits. Really, the cutting edge, and the National Veteran Legal Service Program also is the uh, is the uh, uh, the creator of the single best veterans law book out there, which is updated annually. It's the Veteran Benefit Manual, and I don't see how anyone, whether they're a veteran service officer or or an attorney or a law student, could competently represent veterans without those resources. Just phenomenal. So, all right, I wanted to highlight another organization because I also received correspondence from them this week. And uh, it's an organization we've had uh, 
guest on a number of times, John Wells, retired Navy commander and now uh, premier veterans advocate, and he's an attorney. His organization is military-veteransadvocacy. Website is easy to remember. It's militaryveteransadvocacy.org. They're another nonprofit organization that really could uh, benefit from your membership as well as financial support. You can join up. Go to militaryveteransadvocacy.org. Their annual dues are extremely low, and uh, you will be benefiting um, all veterans. They do great work through both legislation, um, lobbying on Capitol Hill, as well as uh, you know litigation, both representing veterans and also in in class action uh, matters. So they were made a huge impact on the for the Vietnam veterans who served in the Navy, the so-called Blue Water Navy veterans. But they've also been very active in bringing lawsuits against the VA and also initiating rulemaking and proposing and advocating for legislation that deals with uh, herbicide exposure, toxic exposure for veterans that served in areas beyond other than Vietnam, including the island of Guam, America Samoa, Johnston Island, and uh, as well as those that served in Thailand in the Panama Canal Zone, they've been very active with continuing legal education. So they're the three, the three uh, major goals. I say education, litigation, and uh, uh, the advocacy part. So um, it's a very impressive organization. So if you can support them, go to militaryveteransadvocacy.org. And they also have that brings me to another item of of information and news, which is Military Veterans Advocacy um, puts out their weekly uh, newsletters about uh, one of their many programs, and that's uh, to highlight the legislation that's pending in Washington, D.C., and uh, it's called the Bills of the Week program. They make it as easy as anything, as anything could possibly be. Military Veterans Advocacy's Bill of the Week program makes it easy. What you can do is you go to their website, militaryveteransadvocacy.org. At the top of the page, you'll see a Projects tab. Click on the Projects tab, and you'll see under that Bills of the Week. And what they do is highlight every week uh, one or more uh, pending bills before Congress that affect veterans, and uh, they'll give you a summary of the bill. They'll give you a link, more information. And then in order to help you make it easy to uh, communicate with your representative in the House of Representatives and your two U.S. senators, they also provide uh, a link. You just click on the link, and you, you type in you know your name and your zip code, so it will then automatically link your message to your one representative in the House and then your two U.S. senators, and then you can send them a message. It takes all of just a couple minutes, and I know it works because I've done it, and I've gotten responses back from my representative and my two U.S. senators. So it's an easy way if you're wondering, you know, hey, I'm not a lawyer, I hate legal stuff, but I am a veteran and I know all this stuff affects me, and sitting around doing nothing and complaining isn't helping anybody. It's not helping yourself. 
So if you want to uh, get informed and if you want to share this information with, with other veterans and veteran groups, uh, go to the website. Again, it's militaryveteransadvocacy.org and uh, click on their projects tab for Bills of the Week, and then you can uh, read a short summary of the various uh, bills that are pending for Congress. And then, again, just click on the link, and you can send an email to to those in Congress that, uh, that represent you. So, All right, Rick, uh, back over to you. Well, we've got some more news. We've got... Uh... On November 30th, 2021, the VA issues a press release on printing and mailing delays affecting the VA correspondence sent to veterans in the past six months. This has been a huge, huge problem, people. According to the press release, due to supply and chain and staffing shortages, the vendor contracted by the government publishing office, GPO, to provide printing services for the Department of Veteran Affairs to experiencing delays in printing and mailing notification letters to veterans and claimants. The disruption may impact the ability of some claimants to meet required deadlines via written correspondence with the VA. In response to the mailing delays and to protect the best interests of the claimants, the Veterans Benefits Administration is extending their response period by 90 calendar, day, 90 calendar days for claimants with letters dated between July 13, 2021 and December 31, 2021. This is big news, people. Big news for you veterans. If a claimant does not reply to a time limit notification such as making an election of benefits or services or reporting for a scheduled compensation and pension exam, the VBA will not take an adverse action to deny, reduce, or terminate benefits and services unless the claimant is contacted and there is documentation of the right to respond, the requested information has been received, or the response period has lapsed. VA and GPO are, pro are proactively working to quickly address the mailing delays. For questions on this matter, veterans and claimants can contact VA at 1-800-827-1000. Veterans who file an appeal with the Board of Veteran Appeals are referred to a separate press release from the Board for information specific to Board correspondence scheduled hearings at the Board and receiving your Board decisions. The Board's statement is dated December 2021. There's no specific date. It says as follows. The Board of Veteran Appeals, the Board, is experiencing delays in providing veterans and their representatives notice of their hearings, decisions, and other mailed correspondence. As a result of COVID-19 pandemic, the Board transitioned from an in-house mailing to mailing through the government printing office, GPO. GPO is operating with a significant delay in printing and shipping correspondence due to staffing shortages. This delay has impacted the Board's ability to mail correspondence to it in a timely manner. The board is currently working to put processes in place to ensure veterans and their representatives receive timely correspondence, including notice of hearings and decisions and hearings. Additionally, impacted veterans are invited to request that the board consider a previous submission that was not addressed or reconsidered a determination that a previous submission was untimely. We are closely monitoring the backlog at GPO and will continue putting new and improved processes in place to ensure veterans are receiving notice of their board decisions in a timely fashion. Hearings for veterans. The board is currently working to call, email, and send a letter to every veteran scheduled for a hearing in front of a VA veterans law judge, VLJ. We are working to provide as much notice as possible. We expect hearing scheduling notices will continue to be delayed. It is very important that you let us know as quickly as possible if you have a good cause to postpone your hearing. For representatives, the board requests that you access your hearing schedule in case flow. Please reach out to the veterans on your schedule to ensure a veteran has been made aware of their scheduled hearing. 
The board's hearing team will also be emailing veterans, service officers, VSOs, and attorneys with notice scheduled hearings. Decisions for veterans. We know veterans are waiting for the decisions, and we apologize for the additional delay. If the status of your appeal on VA.gov reflects that the board has issued a decision but you have not yet received a decision in the mail, please reach out to your representative, if you have one, as they may be able to electronically access your decision for you. If not, we are working as quickly as possible to get the decision mailed to you. For representatives, if VA.gov or case will indicate that a board decision has been issued and you have access to the Veterans Benefits Management System, the VBMS, please consider obtaining a copy of a decision from VBMS to provide your client and advise on next steps. Reconsideration of previous submissions. If you believe that the board's failure to address a prior submission or determination that a submission was untimely was a result of the delay in the mailing of correspondence or notice to you or your representative, you may ask the board to reconsider its determination. Please indicate in your correspondence that you are submitting a request for reconsideration, recalculation of a timeliness determination due to the mail delay. You are encouraged to submit any evidence, including a statement relevant to the mailing date of the board correspondence or notice that issue. Please note if you receive board correspondence requesting a response within a certain amount of time, please provide the requested response even if the delay is soon approaching or has recently passed. The board is taking steps to allow for additional time to receive and address such responses when permitted under the law. Additionally, in some instances, the board is permitted to grant a good cause extension to accept certain filings. For additional assistance, VSOs, private attorneys, or agent advocates should contact their information security officer or local change management agent to initiate case flow access, case flow access through updates to existing Common Security Employee Manager, CSEM, permissions. If additional assistance is required, please reach out to Marty Carraway, C-A-R-A-W-A-Y, at martin.com. Caraway at VA.gov. That's martin.caraway at VA.gov. If you would like to check the status of your appeal, please visit www.va.gov forward slash claim hyphen or hyphen appeal hyphen status. For additional questions, please email board customer service at VA.gov. That's again, that's board customer service at VA.gov. Just one note on that, um, David. Uh, the last few times that I've spoken to the Board of Veteran Appeals, the VLJs, the Veteran Law Judges, uh, it's pretty much been conceded that this problem could last going back to July, a total of about one year, so July of 2022. So it's a big problem. It's a big problem. Yeah, well, the VA has had mail problems of different types, um, over the decades, but I've never seen it this bad. It's really ridiculous. It really is. I mean, I'll give you, I I'll give you a, a, for, a for instance. I opened my my mail today, and uh, I have I, I received the decision, and they were they were terrific decisions, by the way, on on PTSD. But my client, we had already received. My client had already received his money, and. <clears throat> Uh, he already received his deposit in the bank, and we had already received a letter from the VA uh, granting the the, uh, the PTSD. Uh, ironically enough, the effective date that the that the VA granted was not the earlier effective date. Didn't go back to the filing of the claim. So I've already filed the appeal. <laughs> I've already filed the appeal on that case, 
arguing for an earlier effective date. And, and today, you know, 30, 45 days later, I'd finally get the decision in the mail. So it's, you know, it's upside down, topsy-turvy world out there when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, but it's such a basic thing. You know, I, I think it's a reflection. I hate to say it, I don't think the, this isn't to get political, but I, I don't see how the current administration can allow this to happen. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's such a no-brainer, basically. you got to figure out a way to send out the mail on time and not have it delayed by four to eight weeks. It's, it's not the problem of the United States Postal Service. I want to be clear. No, it's not. not a U.S. This is not a USPS problem. The USPS may have their own problems, but what we're talking about specifically is a problem where, you know, someone in the VA drafts a letter or drafts a decision. They're done with it. They press a button for it to be printed out and mailed, and the people responsible for printing it out and mailing it aren't getting that done for four to eight weeks. That's what the problem is. And to me, there's there's no excuse for that. Uh, you know, and as one, one judge said, said to me that... Um, and she was very, uh, I mean, she really focused. They were trying to improve the mailing system through, you know, the VA mailing system to benefit veterans. So that's why they hired this company, thinking that, you know, because they're outsourcing everything. I mean, they're outsourcing all the, the C&P exams. I mean, everything is being outsourced from the VA. So they figured we'll, we'll outsource the mail issue you know, to a private company and let the, let them handle it. And, and well, that's where the problem is. Yeah. We're about out of ri- time, Rick, so maybe uh, maybe a real, we just have a 30 seconds for an abbreviated coaching in the care, then we need to wrap up. Yeah, we got the coaching in the care program. Remember, um, veterans, if you're having a tough time returning to uh, transition to home life, the coaching in the care program can help. That number is one triple eight eight two three seven four five eight. It offers free coaching to help you help your veteran. Again, one triple eight eight two three seven four five eight. In addition, let's also remember the Veterans Crisis Line at one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not help to get the help they needed, help them get the care they need to cope with their problems. Again, that one that number at the Veterans Crisis Line is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. And press one. I am out. Back to you, David. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Tune in next week. Until then, we hope you have a blessed Christmas and look forward to the new year. We'll be here next week, though, for our final show of uh, 2021. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.